Hey everyone, welcome to the Land of Hope podcast. Come with us this week as we plant our feet in the Land of Hope. Hello everyone, today we're going to continue in our study of Acts and uh, the search for the Spirit-filled life. Now, so far we've been hearing about the Holy Spirit filling the disciples and miracles and um, then the opposition that came against that as kind of the powers that be uh, were frustrated that they thought they had killed this Jesus guy, but um, they're still dealing with the same problems with his followers, right? Healings, miracles. Um, And we come now uh, to a story in the book of Acts that's a little intense, okay? So I'm just letting you know that right off the bat. We've just come from the story of Barnabas, right? So Joseph the Cyprian was nicknamed nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And he, as someone who had status and power and money, um, took everything he had and he laid it at the apostles' feet, right? These fishermen from Galilee. And that's the story that we've just come from. So open your Bibles to Acts 5. Um, And we will get started in verses 1 through 14. Okay, so this is what it says. It says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. So this starts the exact same as the story with Barnabas, right? Barnabas sold a piece of property and took all the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the proceeds for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So contrasted to the story that we heard about Barnabas in the last two verses, Ananias made the same gesture, but the difference is the heart, okay? The heart behind this gift. The word makes it clear that Ananias Um, did this, sold the property, and brought a portion of it to the disciples' feet, the apostles' feet, um, with the full knowledge of his wife. Now, why is this important? Because we're at a time when in the church's history, um, there would have been many Christian spouses who were now married to people who were not disciples of Christ. Okay, so as the gospel is spreading, Um, remember everyone who's saying yes to Jesus at this point is uh, Jewish in background. And so some people would say yes to Jesus, but that doesn't mean their spouse had said yes to Jesus. So um, this detail is meant to say, number one, uh, when it says with his wife's full knowledge, number one, um, Luke, the writer of Acts, is telling us that Sapphira is just as guilty in this deception. So this isn't a thing where one of them is saved and one of them is not. It's saying, with her full knowledge and understanding, this happened. And two, that the Lord is making a delineation between husband and wife. Now, this is important because we often think of, you know, husband and wife becoming one flesh, which is true. But what this passage is telling us is that the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit, sees them as autonomous people who both can be innocent or guilty, irreflective of each other's behavior, right? And that's important to understand and especially important in this time with the church saying your family might not yet say yes to Jesus, but you may. And um, we don't see one family as being necessarily like guilty or innocent of the same things, right? Each person responds to the Holy Spirit in their own responsibility. 
Um, Luke is making it clear that this personal, personal responsibility and autonomy in the body of Christ um, is still present even as we've heard so much about this community being of one mind and close-knit. So it's this mystery. Just like Jesus is fully God and fully man, you are fully a part of the community, and yet the Holy Spirit holds you autonomous in making your own decisions of the heart. Isn't that interesting? Um, so even between husband and wife, just because your spouse does something doesn't make you responsible for that thing. And all the people who've read boundaries said, amen. Okay. Um, but to conclude that first uh, couple verses, this community, uh, this couple sells a piece of land just as Barnabas did. But instead of bringing all of it to the apostles to distribute to their brothers and sisters in need, Ananias and Sapphira hold back a portion of it. But what's clear here, and, and uh, well, what's made clear as we continue down the passage, is that Ananias presented this gift as if it was the full amount. So the issue is not that he didn't bring the full amount of the property to the apostles. The issue is that he brought a part of the amount as if it was the full amount. So the problem lies not in the amount of the gift, but in the deception. Okay, we'll see that as we continue. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the proceeds of this land? So Peter, by the Holy Spirit, okay, and this is what we call a word of knowledge, knowing something that you would not have known otherwise. Peter, by the Holy Spirit, by this word of knowledge, knows that what Ananias has done. Okay, he attributes Ananias's deception to Satan. Okay, and saying Satan has filled your heart. Now we've been talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, but Peter's saying Satan has filled your heart with this deception. Interesting, right? That as Ananias's heart has been filled with this temptation to lie, the real temptation is this: that he is being tempted and saying yes to presenting himself as more selfless, more kind, maybe more spiritually mature than he is. So the heart of this deception, again, the issue is not that he didn't bring the full portion. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. The issue is that he's, he's doing this deception so that he can appear a certain way. Okay, and that's important as we go forward. In verse four, it says, Peter goes on and says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? And so this is really, really important. What Peter is saying is that what Anna, that Ananias was under no pressure to sell the property in the first place. He said, while it was unsold, you, you had full disposal of that property, right? Then Peter says that even after the property was sold, Ananias was under no pressure to give any amount of it. He's saying whether you sold it or you didn't, it was all still in your control. You got to choose what you gave and what you didn't. If he had come to them and said, here is half of it, he was completely free to do so. That's what Peter's saying. It's, it's all been under your control the whole time. You were not compelled to give the full amount. 
The apostles did not mandate this selfless giving that had marked the new church. Okay? They, it was not um, compulsory to be part of this community that you bring everything you have and lay it at their feet right, to, to distribute to your brothers and sisters in need. Peter is saying, you could have done anything you wanted with this land. You could have kept it. You could have given half of it. You could have given none of it. And that would have been okay. So why is it, right? He continues, have you conceived this deed in your heart? He's saying, what motivation then did you have for bringing part of it and saying it was all of it? And he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. And this is so important because when we interact with people in our world, it looks at face value like we're just interacting with people, right? But the heart behind things is really like, what do you believe about God that it was more important to you to appear this way in front of people? than it was to truly be that way in your heart. Why is that disconnect there? You must not understand how God works because if you did, you'd be trying to please him as first priority, as opposed to trying to appear a certain way between your brothers, in front of your brothers and sisters who love you, right? Here, Peter digs down to Ananias's motives. Peter asks, why would Ananias, under no compulsion to do what others were doing, lie so that he appeared more generous than he actually was? This is really important because, again, Ananias had options here. He could have not given anything, which looks bad, right? Barnabas sells this piece of property, trades in being a Levitical priest, which is like his birthright, uh, lets go of everything he has as far as status. And that looks really good if you are trying to please people. Okay? However, totally not worth it <laughs> if that's all you're trying to do. So he could have not given anything. Ananias could have sold the property, given a portion, and saved a portion, and then been honest about it. And that would have looked a little bit better. Not as good as Barnabas looked, but it would have looked a little bit better. Or he could have lied about how much the property sold for and brought only a portion. And here's the thing. That looks great. He looks selfless. He looks kind. He looks generous. So do you see how there is this like shift where it's like one looks great, but is in his heart before God the worst option? One doesn't look great, but, but continues his integrity before God. So do you see these options that he had? And Peter's saying, you could have chosen any option if you had integrity about it, right? So um, the lie he believed is that it was more important to appear a certain way then bring his true self to this community. And this is a struggle that the church has had from the beginning. Am I going to bring my true self, my real self, warts and all, to this community and be transformed here? Or am I going to appear a certain way so that I have esteem with these people rather than uh, be true in my heart before them and before God? And sometimes people don't know if they can because they don't know, is this a safe place to be myself? Is this a safe place to uh, bring my warts, right, and bring my gifts and have them all loved and accepted? 
The most important thing being that Peter here says, yes, you could have brought nothing and still you would have been loved here. You could have been here with us if you had brought nothing. But Ananias wants to be honored and respected, thought of in a certain way, rather than being willing to live authentically with his hangups, weaknesses, and insecurities. And we will come back to that. So in verse five, here we go. Here's the harsh part. As he heard these words, Ananias collapsed and died. And great fear came over all who heard about it. The young men got up, covered him, and after carrying him out, they buried him. And the fact that these young men in, this, in the church had to bury him means that his family had probably already ostracized him for becoming a Christian. God took this deception very seriously. Again, the sin was not that Ananias didn't give all he had. The sin was that he was willing to be false in this community of new believers. He was willing to lie or put on a front in order to climb the spirituality, religious, pious ladder. Okay, He wanted to look like Barnabas had looked to the community. God made it clear that this, this climbing the spiritual ladder, this showing that I'm pious, this proving that I'm in with God, which was the mark of first century Judaism, this is the high priest. This is the Pharisees. This is the world that, they, that Jesus died to bring them out of, that this would not be tolerated in the spirit-filled community. Not only would the spirit not allow this false self, inflation of reputation by deception, right? To roam free in this community. But the spirit would also make sure that this falseness was found out. The Holy Spirit's gift of a word of knowledge meant that there wasn't any true deceiving anyway, because Peter knew right away that Ananias had not been honest. If you lied, the Lord the Holy Spirit would make it known. This is why there is great fear in response. Can you imagine if you're like, oh, the Holy Spirit's going to tell Peter if I'm not being honest? I mean, whoa, right? You are suddenly kind of like, have I not been honest about something? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, you would be you would have great fear. People are like, oh, okay, God, don't mess. Like, this community is for real, and I better not turn it into something I'm trying to use for my own purposes. I better not use this community to inflate my status or reputation or position. I better come real, right? Verse seven says, now an interval of about three hours elapsed and his wife, Sapphira, came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her. So Peter's giving her an opportunity. Tell me whether you sold the land for this price, right? For the price that Ananias brought. And she said, yes, for that price. <laughs> no, why? Okay. Do you see the autonomy that Peter is allowing this husband and wife? He is offering grace upon grace. He's saying, your husband didn't do the right thing, but I'm going to give you a chance to do the right thing, right? And that is an incredible lesson for us in the body of Christ. Peter gives Sapphira another chance to respond and repent, to tell the truth. This is like asking a kid 
with chocolate on their face, who ate all the cookies, okay? Just confess, dummy, <laughs> right? Have you ever been faced with your children when it is clear, right, the Cheeto dust is on their fingers and they are swearing to you they did not eat Cheetos? And you're like, if you would just be honest, I wouldn't have to discipline you, right? And you're like begging them to tell you the truth. We can all see the Cheeto dust on your fingers, we can all see the chocolate on your face. And that is why trying to like posture or deceive in God's community is so stupid because you think you're pulling it off, but everyone can see. Everyone knows our weaknesses when we're an authentic community. The question is, are you going to let yourself be loved in those things? Or are you going to say that they don't exist, right? Then Peter said to her, why is it you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? He's like pleading with her. Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. Peter's like, I tried to help. Okay. But what is happening is not of Peter. What is happening is of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will not be lied to. He won't. You cannot appear to be this way or that way. The Spirit's conviction cuts to the heart and exposes who you really are. Life in community, in Spirit-filled community, exposes who you really are. I remember being on a mission trip. I was tired. I was trying to corral 30 kids on this team um, out in the streets of, uh, of San Luis Potosi, Mexico. And, you know, we're trying to move from one plaza to the next plaza. There are 30 kids. I was, for some reason, in charge of counting the kids and making sure we had all of them. Don't ever ask me to do that. I will forget people. Um, and I, the, our missionary friend was like, Eleanor, let's go, right? Because I'm like trying to count the children and make sure we have all of them. And I turn and I scream, I'm coming. It just came out of me. I turned to my friend who I call my conscience because it is important to have friends who you're like, was I being rude because I obviously don't have a good gauge for if I was or not? And I turned to my friend and I'm like, Greg, was I being rude? And he's like, I'm going to be honest with you, Eleanor. Yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> wow. So we get to the next plaza. I come up to my missionary friend, John. I stand beside him for a minute and I'm like, I am so sorry. That was so rude. And he's like, you know what, Eleanor? I love you. And you snap at people. <laughs> he's like, but I love you and you love me and we're going to be okay. And I was like, whoa, so you're just okay with the fact that I snap at people sometimes? And it doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean like, so fine, snap at me all you want. But the love and grace he showed me said this. It said, you don't have to like be perfect for us to be in relationship, but it's better if you're aware, right? <laughs> oh, what a story. I remember um, my mentors, Tom and Tanya, they had this rule, okay? They said that, if you're honest with us about, you know, anytime you mess up or, or you don't do something you're supposed to do, if you're honest, 
we aren't going to, we aren't going to take you out of ministry. We're not going to kick you out of whatever team or whatever you're on. But if we have to find out from someone else and find out that you deceived us, then you're out. And it created such a community where we could come and bring our true selves and say, I messed up in this way. Like, and I need to be honest with you. And we knew that we weren't going to be punished for being honest, for being repentant, for saying, I messed up in this way. The, the only time that they would say, we can't be together with you on this team is if we were deceptive, is if we tried to cover and hide. Because that is where the enemy, again, fills our hearts, is when we're deceptive. So verse 10 says, And immediately she collapsed at his feet and died, and the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who had heard about these things. So people are taking what's happened very seriously. This, so, so let me be clear. This spirit-filled community is not just feel-good Holy Spirit vibes. Oh, we're all spirit-filled and people are getting healed and we just feel warm and gushy all the time. Like, no, it cuts both ways. The Holy Spirit is comforter and the Holy Spirit is also the one who convicts us, right? Of, of, and says, come forward, come out, be integrous. The very hand of God is present in this community, And it says that the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people and they were all together in Solomon's portico, this porch on the outside of the temple, but none of the rest dared associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem and increasingly believers in the Lord, large numbers of men and women were being added to their number. So people held them in high esteem, but were also afraid of them because they knew that many stayed away because it was clear they knew that to be a part of this community, you must bring your true self, warts and all. And if you were lying about that or trying to appear a certain way, you would be found out. So you better not come to this community unless you are humble, unless you are open-handed, unless you're willing to say, these are the ways in which I stumble and fall. These are the ways in which I'm immature. These are the ways in which I am not um, godly, but I am here, right? I am saved by the blood of Jesus. I am convicted and encouraged and comforted by the Holy Spirit, and I am loved by this community. The only people coming and, and being added to their number, of which there were many, isn't that encouraging, would have been those who are willing to come real, humble, repentant, and unhidden. So here's what I'm taking away from this passage. Hidden sin will kill you. Don't you feel encouraged? Okay. Hidden sin will eat you from the inside. Deception smells of Satan and his way. So we do our best to be ourselves in this community, to not appear better than we are, but to bring who we really are and trust that we will be loved there. Secondly, that hidden sin in a spirit-filled community will find us out. You know, we better be praying that we get found out in our sin. We better be praying that we are not good at deception because Um, it eats us from the inside, like I said. So don't think, right? Peter's saying, don't think you can mock the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God loves you too much to let you keep 
things hidden. Pray that you would be found out. If you don't have the courage to confess, pray that you would be found out. (laughs) Pray that God would show someone what's going on and that you would receive help. Because everyone has sin. Everyone has sin. Hidden sin keeps us from true community, right? When we bring our false self, number one, we're not really here. We can be in the community, but we're not actually, we don't actually get to be with people and they don't actually get to be with us when we are putting on a face or putting on a front. Number two, Hinson keeps us from community. One, you're not really here. And two, everyone can see the chocolate on your face anyway. Like sooner or later, (laughs) people who live with us and love us unconditionally, they know our warts. They know our hangups. They know our weaknesses. So why not say, this is my weakness? Why not come saying, I want to grow in this way as opposed to saying, what weaknesses? I got no weaknesses. Let me tell you about weaknesses, right? Like that is not how we come to the community of God. And thirdly, fourthly, fourthly, I told you not to let me count. (laughs) Confession is a part of community life. If you ate the dang cookies, say so, right? I didn't have dang in my notes. I had a stronger word. If you ate the cookies, say so, right? Can we be quick to say we're sorry? Can we be quick to say, this is my weakness and I need you to love me in my weakness? Or else, what are we doing here? If confession isn't a part of our lives, our relationships, our community, What do we need Jesus for if we don't have anything to confess? We don't just need him once when we come to him. Like there's a song that says, I need you, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. And I would say every minute, every breath, Jesus, I need your grace. Confession should come easily. Humility should come easily to those of us who are in the community of God. And I would say, who can ask you the tough questions? Who can come to you and say, hey, I've been noticing you're acting this way. What do you think? Do you allow, is there anyone in your life who can do that? Who can you go to with your confessions? And here's who you look for. When you confess a tough time you're going through, your weaknesses, if someone says, oh, I've never experienced that, that's not the person to go to (laughs) for your confession. If you're confessing, you go to the person who says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm with you, okay? That is the person who you go to your confessions with. Okay, and then lastly, before we go into worship today, hidden sin keeps us from being close to God. How can God meet us face to face until we take our masks off? This is me, right? All my warts, all my weaknesses, all my gifts, all my troubles, all of them are here before you, God. And if we can sit with him like that, we will experience his compassion, his relationship, his love in such a deep and profound way. He will become your best friend. But if all you want to present him are the good things, right? then we are at a surface relationship 
And God longs to be deep in our hearts and intimate with us. That's the place where true transformation takes place, is in his love and compassion. So today, as we get ready to go into worship, I know this has been a, um, a deep and kind of intense time of teaching today, but I want you to remember that you are loved and you are safe, not because everyone else is safe, right? We all have our weaknesses and we all have our ways in which we hurt people, but because if you will bring your true authentic self to this community, you will find love and you will find transformation. And so as we worship today, please keep those things in mind because you are loved and you are treasured. Hi, thanks for tuning in today. I'm Paul, one of the producers of the Land of Hope podcast. If anything that you heard moved you or touched you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. So please head on over to discoverhope.org connect and connect with us. And if you'd like to support the podcast or even sponsor the podcast, just head on over to discoverhope.org giving. Thanks.